Joined today by Pastor Mike Neglia from Cork, Ireland. Hey, Mike. Hey, Nick. It's good to be with Glad you. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, yeah. Ju- hey. Go ahead. I like this podcast. I listen to this podcast, uh, so I'm glad to be on it. Oh, Mike, I appreciate it. You know, and uh, you're a big inspiration for me in how to do podcast interviewing. You're really good at it. So for those of you who don't know, Mike Neglia is uh, among many things that he does. He is the host of the Expositors Collective podcast, which is a group that uh, both him and I are on the steering committee of. And we are a group that seeks to provide resources and help raise up the next generation of Christ-centered, which is what we'll be talking about today, Christ-centered mm-hmm. expository preachers. So Mike, just a little bit of preamble for me before I kick it back to you uh, to have you introduce yourself to our audience a little bit. Um, but for my listeners, I'll just tell you, hey, I've been away for a couple of weeks. Now, part of that was because I was in England. Now, you might know that I was uh, getting my master's. I actually already got my master's in November of 2020, but I was not able to go to the graduation ceremony. It was postponed because of the pandemic, and it just happened in September. And so I had the opportunity to go there. I took my family. We spent a week in England, and then we went down to France, visited some friends down there, and saw some sights, um, and now we are back. So I was away from the podcast for a little bit. Glad to be back with you, and I'm glad to get to introduce you to somebody that I I uh, look up to, that I respect, that I consider a co-laborer in the gospel, and that is uh, Pastor Mike Neglia. So Mike, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, well, yeah, so I I live in Cork, which is a a city in Ireland, and oftentimes when I'm introduced as from Ireland, I I disappoint people the moment that I open my mouth and they see that I don't have a cool Irish accent. So I'm born and raised in California. I lived there for essentially the first half of my life. And I've lived here. um, I've lived in Cork, moved here um, 18 years ago. And so I'm I'm actually 38, so the math isn't right. But uh, I've lived here for a a long time. Um, My accent is from California, but my whole adult life and as well as the wife, my, my wife's life has been here. So we were high school sweethearts. Uh, we got married in December. No, rather, we got married in January and we moved here in February. And so our whole married life has been in this place. Our three kids have been born here. Uh, love love Ireland, love Cork, love being here. And um, yeah, happy to overlap with you, uh, Nick, in these past couple of years with the Expositors Collective. It's been great to be given opportunities to travel to different parts of the US and, and Europe. Uh, together and uh, help people understand the Bible and to, uh, you know, teach and preach it as as good as they can. Yeah, awesome. So, Mike, you know, as I mentioned, we're both part of Expositors Collective, and one of the things we do. So, so obviously, there's the podcast branch, which is very popular, and you do an amazing job with that. But there's also another branch of what we do, which are these two day intensive training seminars, and so. Uh, today is, let's see, we're recording on September 22nd. It's a Wednesday. Just this past weekend, we were in yeah. Colorado Springs, or rather, I was in Colorado Springs with some of our friends and and uh, co-laborers, but you were in Ireland and you were doing the online version of the Expositors Collective Training Weekend. But part of these training weekends, we do a lot of short modules 
And then people study also with group leaders in their groups. One of our core modules is a module on Christ-centered preaching. Now, obviously, our focus today isn't so much on preaching as much as what we were going to talk about is hermeneutics, but they're very closely related. I mean, you can't preach unless you understand the Christ-centered hermeneutic. So um, Some do, though, Nick. Some do. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I meant to say you can't preach in a Christ-centered way unless you first understand the Christ-centered hermeneutic. All that All right. to say, sorry, to be, sorry, sorry to be semantic, but no, you're uh, good. yeah, there's a lot of people that that preach without proper hermeneutics. I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's uh, talk about first of all. Um, let's talk about this that you wrote the part for Expositors Collective on Christ-centered preaching, the module. And this weekend, I had an interesting opportunity to actually. Um, I guess, teach the stuff that you've written. I tried to do it in my own voice. I tried to put in some elements and and take out some elements because part of what you do is you talk about uh, your own personal story with it. And I felt that that would be a little disingenuous if I told Mm. your story from my perspective. So, so yeah, Mike, I mean, how was that for you listening to somebody else teach something that you've taught quite often? Yeah, that, that it was, it was unique. And I actually have to say, I did like leave the room for a little bit, not because it was like too disorienting or, or anything, but I, I really was like trying to be very engaged with every, every workshop. And, you know, because there's the the main session up on the stage and then there's the group dynamics where the, the groups huddle together, all of your groups would be face to face. And my group was a, a zoom cohort of about 10 people, um, but so, yeah, I would try to like pay attention to all of them. But um, for yours, I, I watched the first half and then I kind of like went out and kind of stretched my legs a little bit. So uh, no offense, no offense, but it's just like, I know what he's going to say. I literally wrote <laughs> most of his notes right. so I could, uh, um, but it was, it was, it was great, I guess, to hear. And, and again, um, so much of what I wrote or, or the usual content of that part of the module of our, of our weekend, like it's, it's not unique. It's, mm. it's, um, it's pulled from a variety of thinkers and Christians, um, both ancient and modern. And so to hear, to hear it in your voice was just, was just nice. And maybe just a, an echo of the fact that hopefully that many of us are just saying the same things with different voices and filtering it through our own experiences, which are different and unique. And then also relating it to our different congregations, which are different and unique. So it was kind of like wonderfully non-surprising, I mm-hmm. suppose. Good. Yeah. If it was really good for me, um, not so much presenting the material, but what was really interesting, I guess I was a little more invested in, you know, making sure that the people who were there understood this concept since I was teaching it from the stage. And so afterwards I was kind of moving around the different groups as well as the next day we have them kind of preach a sermon, a mini sermon on a text. So I was going around to the groups and listening and I guess more than ever, I was invested in wanting to see that they really understood it. And mm. so uh, it was really cool to see a lot of them have this aha moment where they realize that, uh, as I like to say, uh, I, I didn't make this up, but that the Bible is a book about Jesus, you know? And I think that sums up so much of what we mean when we talk about Christ-centered hermeneutics. Yeah. The Bible is a book about Jesus. That's so simple. What, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by it is that um, among, you know, it's a great question we need to ask is what is the Bible? And I think that many people would say, well, the Bible is a collection of 
poetry, history, letters that were written that all give us some insight into God. But I think that we would say, well, it is that, but it's actually something much better than that. And what it is, it is that mm. it is a unified story, which mm. tells one grand narrative, um, yeah. and that is the story of Jesus. So to make it really simple, as sim- simple enough for a child to understand, we can say, you know what the Bible is? It is a book about Jesus, meaning that it is unified, it is a book, yeah. and it is yeah. about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it tells the story of Jesus. That is essentially what we mean when we say that something's a Christ-centered hermeneutic. So, Mike, I'm going to ask you this. Let's talk about, for our listeners who are like, this is a big word and hard to spell, what is a hermeneutic? Yes. Um, some people would say hermeneutics. Now, we have talked about this once before on the podcast, um, but maybe put it in your words. Sure. Um, and uh, w- sorry, was it the was it Dr. Roy Collins that spoke about hermeneutics? Yeah, and I also did an episode with Benjamin Morrison on hermeneutics, okay. which is kind of his field of study in seminary. Well, glad to be part of such a noble lineage of of those two. Um, you know, I, I explain hermeneutics quite simply as just the science and art of biblical interpretation. There's there's kind of a stripped down workshop that I've been doing um, for the leaders in my church. Um, we, we are still in COVID guidelines here. Um, so we even have limits as to how many people can gather in one room. Um, Ireland's kind of the most, one of the strictest of all of Europe. And so I've had this workshop that I've been doing for like essentially 10 leaders at a time uh, in my church um, talking about biblical interpretation. And so that's the working definition that, that I've given two times. And then I will do it one more time in, Octo- in, uh, in October that essentially that hermeneutics is just the science and the art of biblical interpretation. It's, it's how do we look at it, understand it and synthesize it. Um, and then communication is kind of the next step, but before we get to communication, it's, it's understanding it. Now I know you've put a lot more work into studying this. Um, what's, what's your definition of hermeneutics? Uh, I, I tend to think that like the more like, brazenly simple we can make things, then the more yeah. profound it is. Kind of like that, that term, like the Bible's a book about Jesus. Um, and I would say, and I think it's, it's maybe this is a bit too simplistic, but hermeneutics is essentially a lens through which you see something. So let's, hmm. let's put it this way, with, with Christ-centered hermeneutics and this concept that the Bible is a book about Jesus, think about what that means. It becomes a lens through which you see the rest of Scripture. So if I'm reading the Old Testament, I'm going to read it through a lens which causes me to read things, understand, it's, it's a prior understanding which causes me to read things differently. Um, so when I read something, I'll say, oh, look at how that points to Jesus. Now, I get that hermeneutics from the book of Hebrews and from other New Testament passages, mm. including the writings of Apostle Paul, etc., and, and the words of Jesus, right, who, who quotes from right. the Old Testament and points it to himself. And of course, there are some big passages, which we might, might just make direct reference to here in a moment. But um, what happens is that when you have that, it causes you to read the whole thing differently. And a to put it in really simple terms, it'd be kind of like when you watch the movie. We this this analogy has been used by people in our circles a lot, so forgive me if it's a little overused. But it's the uh, analogy like if you've ever watched a movie like The Sixth Sense, or there there were a few others. Memento was that one where it's like you don't understand the movie until you get to the end, and then you learn this key thing that changes. It actually makes everything make sense. And now you have to go back and watch the movie all over again 
And now you watch it through a completely different lens because you know this key piece of information which changes the way that you watch and interpret and understand everything that you watched before. Another good example, which I don't recommend for people necessarily, is Fight Club, right? Like when you realize, and I'm about to blow Fight Club because I don't actually think anybody should go and watch it, but uh, the point is that you find out that this guy... it has never really exist. He's a figment of this other man's imagination. He's a projection of his psyche. And then you have to go back and watch the whole movie and you realize like nobody ever talks to him directly. You know, all these things like, oh, wow, uh, that changes everything. Well, in the same way, that's what a hermeneutics is. It's like a lens that causes us to see everything differently. Yeah. And uh, yeah, great job with the Fight Club one. Um, And I have seen it before. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, like it's, it's not as if, and we want to be careful the way that we explain it. And I think you did a good job of clarifying. It's not as if like the Bible, the old Testament in particular is this unintained, unexplainable mess. You know, it's just this chaotic, um, just nothing. And then Jesus comes along and then now everything makes sense. Um, and, And likewise with those films that have been referenced, the first time you see them, it, it does, you know, it's, it's a coherent story, but then you learn something about the main character and then you realize, oh, I wonder how much of that was foreshadowed, how much of that was hinted at. I didn't see those clues, but now I'll have to look there and see it all over again. And I think likewise in the Bible, towards the end of the book, you learn something about the main character and what you learn about the main character is that God became flesh and then came down and that he himself was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And he was the one who, who bore God's word uh, to the people. And he is the ruler um, who comes from the line of David and who will bring everlasting peace. And so the main character does something at the end that makes you think, oh, I can't wait to, to read this over again and see the clues that were leading up to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking with somebody today just about this idea that what if the Bible isn't really a book about Jesus? And he said, well, if that were the case, in a way, so much of the Bible, I would read it and I would say, who cares? Because he said, think about this. Like if you're reading about the kings and things like that, there's a lot of historical information about people I've never met. It doesn't really affect my life because they lived right. a long time ago. I'm never going to meet them. I can't even pronounce their names. Yeah. And, and kind of like, why bother? Like, who cares? And you know what's interesting, Mike, is that actually some people take that approach to the Old Testament. Is that because they don't have a Christ-centered hermeneutics for reading the Bible, they'll say, literally one well-known preacher, some people out there might know who I'm talking about just because of this reference, literally said, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Um, That it's like essentially a trailer that's dragging us down while we're trying to drive our truck up the mountain and we should just unhitch Mm -hmm. the dead weight. And I think that's, oh my gosh, um, so so incredibly wrong and um, shockingly wrong. But it's it's... It kind of makes sense if I guess if you don't have a Christ-centered hermeneutics. Yeah, I mean, why not just watch the very end of Sixth Sense? That's the most impressive part. So just just go straight there. But then you don't see any of the significance, any of the interrelated characters, any of the the the, the hints or the previews. Um, so it doesn't have the emotional weight, even though that's the most important part. It's all of it le- leads up to it. 
And and also too, the Bible's value isn't just in the breadcrumbs that it drops up into up into Christ. And the Old Testament's value isn't merely important because of those things. There's other like lessons to be learned, um, doctrines to be believed. However, I think the chiefest of all is the way that it contributes towards the understanding of the main character entering in in the third act. Mm. So, Mike, you had a quote that you were telling me a little bit earlier about Norm MacDonald. Does that relate to what right. we're talking about here? A little bit. Yeah, this has to do, and this is maybe more of a preaching conversation, but Norm MacDonald, the comedian, he passed away recently, and uh, he's somebody that I, I do have an appreciation for. And um, he he spoke towards the end of his life about matters of life and death kind of a lot. Um, he had a, a cancer diagnosis. He knew that he was going to die. And so it obviously filters through in some of his, not his stand-up comedy, but in his long-form conversations. And he speaks about, you know, the, the brevity of life and the possible existence of God and what it means and, and all of this. And, and he, he says that he had these deep questions about life and death and that he tried to broach them with his pastor. So he attended church with some regularity or he had somebody in his life that he considered his pastor. And he said that he asked him some of these questions and the pastor said, oh, oh gee shucks, uh, you should just go listen to my sermon all over again. And then he makes this offhanded comment about this pastor's sermons. And he says, but the pastor's sermons, they're just about how to be a nice fella or some nonsense. And he's, he's saying, I have these deep questions, you know, I have this, essentially, I have this secret cancer diagnosis and I don't need to learn how to be a good fella. I, I need to learn like, what's the truest thing about life and death and reality and, and, and God. And so um, if we, and the reason why I bring that up is just kind of thinking like, if, if our sermons largely boil down to, you should be a nice fella, um, how does that connect with like, what is the big story of the Bible? And you just reminded us, the Bible is a book about Jesus. And so anytime somebody reads it personally, and then I would say, especially proclaims it publicly, we need to connect the things that we're talking about with its main theme, which is, which is about Jesus. And of course, you know, I hope that Norm was being honest in his appraisal of, of the sermon. I hope that he wasn't just being too dismissive of it. Maybe it wasn't just how to be a nice fella, but that's what he seemed to say. He also said that he, he had a rabbi friend and that rabbi really delved into the deep issues of life with him. So I think he is a deep thinker who appreciates deep thinking. And he ended up attending a church that evidently didn't really value that as much as a dying man needs, mm. but instead it was lots of pragmatic tips on how to be a nice fella. Well, I think that does relate to what we were just saying, you know, with my friend saying, uh, in, in essence, who cares if, mm. if these stories are just about like, hey, here's some interesting stories that might have some tips for life or, you know, um, I was in Jerusalem and I got to go into the, there's a library kind of in one of the tunnels that's right next to the Western Wall. And I went in there, and they have books mostly in Hebrew, and a lot of uh, Jewish people in there studying them. And they had a section that was in English, so I was really curious to see what are these guys reading. And so there's mm -hmm. a lot of commentaries, and they were commentaries, just so many commentaries on the Old Testament from this rabbi and that rabbi. And I spent like half an hour just reading through them. And I have to say that many of the commentaries were exactly what you're talking about. They were, um, hey, here's a story about... Abraham or Isaac or Jacob and some stories from the Bible 
and how these mm-hmm. stories give us tips and strategies to be a, a nice fellow. And in a way, if that's all that this is, yeah, it is kind of a who cares, right? Like, like Norm MacDonald is saying, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's some good fellows in the Old Testament and there's some bad fellows, you know, like mm-hmm. be like Josiah, don't be like Manasseh or, you know, um, that's, that's it. Uh, however, if the Bible is a book about Jesus, then that even means that like the list of kings the ones who like served honorably and the ones that, that ended well and the ones who didn't, like all of that is in, to some way connected with the biggest story of the Bible. Mm. So Mike, maybe, you know, get, let's, I think we might just be assuming that people also kind of know exactly what we mean when we're talking about Christ-centered hermeneutics. So maybe yeah. give us kind of a foundation for understanding what Christ-centered hermeneutics is about. What is it that you would want to share some with somebody if you had a few minutes to explain it? Certainly. Yeah. Great. Well, you mentioned that important to you was like the book of Hebrews, um, kind of modeling a way to understand uh, the Old Testament and the whole Bible and the writings of Paul with 1 Corinthians 5, etc. And you, you mentioned Jesus and I, and I, would, and I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I think the way that Jesus explained the Bible after his resurrection to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus gives us a very important like insight into how he understood uh, the Bible. Um, it says that um, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things that are concerning himself. And then a few verses later, he says, um, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You can read about that in, in Luke 24. Um, he, he seems to imply that what has come before in the Bible is is about him and that it's pointing towards him. And so as I, A, I want to believe that with all my heart. And then B, as I am personally reading the Bible, I want to ask myself this kind of imaginary question, like, how do you think Jesus would explain this on the road to Emmaus? Um, how would he understand, let's say, Psalm 3? Um, uh, and how would he, how would, if, if one of those disciples asked him, well, what about Psalm three, when David is fleeing from Absalom and he is, um, you know, so concerned and he's sleeping, um, his sleep is very poor. Like, what does that have to do with, with you and your coming kingdom? And so I try to have that be a, a sort of questions that cause me to not just read it, think about myself and then move on but to read it, think about myself, and then also think about Jesus and think, how does this point me towards, I guess, um, a need that Jesus completes? Um, how is this like an office that Jesus fulfills? How, have, how, how is this, to some degree, incomplete until we have an understanding of Jesus Christ? So these are some of the, the ways that I try to think about these things. Essentially, how would Jesus understand this passage? And, you know, I defer back to the previous episode, with Dr. Roy Collins, which I actually listened to it twice. That's how much I liked it. So do tell Roy that he's got a big fan in, in Ireland. You said you I had a kind of a gap between between your shows. And so I was like, there's no new episode. I'll just listen to this one again. Um, he said that it's important to understand like, like how did Jesus understand the Bible? And that gives us a key to us. And so I listen to audiobooks. maybe you do too. I've noticed that there's a big difference between when the author reads the audiobook, mm-hmm. and then when it's just some dude. 
And I sometimes specifically just skip one. If it's a book that I was planning on listening to or reading, I just think, well, it's not read by the author, so I'm just going to give this a skip. And I think that when Jesus talks about the Old Testament, it's like the author is reading it, but not just reading it, like doing Q&A. And you can explain like, wait, hang on a second, hang on a second. So I think that's um, part of, I guess, what I mean by a Christ-centered hermeneutic. It's like, it's imagining how, how Jesus would explain it, how he understood it, and then ultimately how he fulfills it. Okay, Mike, does this mean that every verse in the Bible is a verse about Jesus? No, no. That is a common, I think, misunderstanding and maybe a, a sloppy um, a sloppy way to do this. It's a really good intention. And I think there was a book that was published a while ago, you know, called Jesus on Every Page. Um, and, and maybe I myself, a couple of years ago, might have said how, um, you know, the Bible is a book about Jesus. Every book in the Bible, every chapter, every verse. Now, I believe that all of it is about him or pointing towards him, but I hesitate to say that that every single verse is because, you know, it talks about, you know, Manasseh died and slept with his fathers or, or and he was buried in such and such a place. Um, I mean, on the one hand, a preacher could or an interpreter could talk about how we're all going to die just like Manasseh. And, you know, so Christ offers you everlasting life. And Manasseh was buried. Jesus was buried, but he came back from the grave. You know, there's ways to do that where we can, where that kind of becomes more like word association or it's um, just kind of grasping various themes and plugging them together. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. I think if that's a good impulse, but I want to move towards like a more responsible reading of it where maybe a verse about Manasseh's death doesn't directly point it, but maybe just like the idea of like the hopes and longings that the people of God had for a, for a leader that would lead them sacrificially. And then like the dashed hopes and the despair when they realized this is the leader that we get. And he, he seems to care about himself more than us. Like that sort of thing that could cause an interpreter to, to ponder or I would say a preacher to then ask the congregation, like, isn't that always the way? Isn't there these disappointments? Imagine their disappointments, um, their hope and their prayer could have been as Manasseh is dead and buried, God would just send us a better leader. Would just send us a king who truly will care for us and will advance the kingdom and will care for us. Well, guys, their prayer is ultimately answered in the Lord Jesus Christ, descended from David, the king. So I would say like, that's maybe a way, and I just picked that randomly. I, I read that story to my kids last night, you know? So that's why it's fresh in my, in my head, thinking about these, these kings. But that's, I would say, no, not every verse, but yes, every theme, yes, every concept, all of it kind of does find its culmination in Christ. Sorry for the long-winded answer. Uh, no, that's, that's... What do you think, Nick? <laughs> um... I think that that's a, it's a great explanation. You know, there, there are two, uh, two more verses that I would bring in, in addition to the ones you quoted in 
Luke okay. 24. Also in Luke 24, there's a really interesting verse right before the second one you read, which says that he, so he first meets with a smaller group of disciples on the road to Emmaus. Then he comes back in the evening and meets with the rest of the disciples. And that's when he explains to the rest of them all the things about himself. But it says there, I can't remember, it's verse 40 something in Luke 24. It says, he opened their minds to understand mm. the scriptures. And that's really interesting because they would have thought that they already understood the scriptures. They knew the stories. Here's how Tim Keller puts it. They knew the stories, but they didn't know the story that the stories together tell. And it's like, um, and he opened their minds to finally understand it. And and of course, there's John 5, right? Where Jesus says, you, um, how does it go, Mike? Quote it for us. You You search the scriptures because you think in them you have life, but yet you have not come to me that you might have life. Well, he says, um, these are they which testify ah, of me. And he's talking to yes. the Pharisees who read the Bible, but uh, yeah. do so in a way that's very uh, all about their own kind of self-justification. So, I'd be a good fella. Yeah, that's it. So <laughs> the other passage I think is so interesting, and uh, I talked about this at the Expositors Collective. You might have missed it because you were taking I a break a and stretching your legs. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that in, uh, this is actually a practice that I, I did with our church one time. We used to do a lot of things in our church where I would encourage people to text in questions and, um, and kind of like give them things to do during the sermon. Um, just kind of got away from it. I still think it's a good idea. But uh, one of the things we were doing Acts chapter eight, we were studying through Acts. And in Acts chapter eight, it says that um, Philip the evangelist, he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And there's he's alone on this dusty road. And then this caravan starts traveling down the road. The Holy Spirit tells him, go up to the caravan. And he hears that the guy in the caravan, this Ethiopian official is reading uh, from the Bible. And so he gets a little closer. He hears that he's reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, and he happens to be reading from chapter 53, which as we know is a passage which really uh, is used in the New Testament a lot to say this is a passage about Jesus foreshadowing the Messiah and what he will do as a substitutionary sacrifice for atonement. Now, um, Philip goes up to him and the man says, I don't understand what I'm reading. Can you explain it to me? And Philip, it says, Beginning with that very verse, he told him the good news about Jesus. And what I like to say to my church is, now let's imagine that uh, Philip heard him reading from not chapter 53, but from chapter 35, right? Or from chapter 36. Chapter 35 is about God judging the nations of the world. And chapter 36 Uh. is about this man named Sennacherib, who's going to attack Israel. Okay, so... um, you know, imagine the guy happens to be reading a different chapter and he's reading about Sennacherib and he says, I don't understand what I'm reading. And then Philip's like, oh, darn, I wish you had been reading a different passage so I could tell you the good news about Jesus. But as it is, I'm just going to have to tell you about Sennacherib and send you on your way. Maybe right. someday you'll hear the good news about Jesus. Yeah. And my, my point- Do you mind if I sit next to you for the next 20 chapters <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> until, you get, until you get to one of the good ones? Right. And my point is this, would it be possible that no matter what passage, a verse of the Bible, somebody is starting with, that beginning with that very verse, you could show them how that points to and leads up to or somehow relates to the main story of the Bible, which is the redemption that Jesus brings, the Messiah and who he is and and the redemption he brings. And I find that to be such a great exercise for our, our church. 
And it's very similar to a, a story by Charles Spurgeon, which is, again, well-known in our circles. Do you want to tell the story, Mike? Well, he was uh, in the wilderness, and this Ethiopian comes by, and then Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> no, um, are you thinking of the the talk about how in in England yeah, uh, there right. are yeah <laughs> um, the, yeah in in England there's many hamlets and villages. He says, and in every town, no matter how rural, there always is a way to get from that town to London. And he believes that the Bible is is the same, that from every passage, every theme, there is a way to get to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And then he says that like just with towns and villages, some ways are like next to a main highway. They're next to a main thoroughfare. And it's like a well-worn path. And he says there's other ways to get to London that involve like trespassing across your neighbor's garden and climbing through hedges. And it's it's an indirect way. And so, um, I don't know if this, you want to talk about, but I think there's, there's from every passage, there's probably better and worse ways to get to the gospel message. And maybe, you know, speaking, let's say personally as a Christian or even as an evangelist, if I encounter somebody reading anything, you know, um, I'm going to, I'm going to be taking large strides to get quickly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and I, and I think that's good. And, and if I was, yeah, but but talking as a preacher or uh, you know I'm an amateur theologian or whatever, like I also think that's important to be very careful when you're in public when you're when you're preaching to instead of just like trespassing across somebody else's property or climbing through a hedge uh, to get there in the quickest way possible that maybe it's worth it to like even go back a little bit to backtrack to find that main thoroughfare and then and then to get it so. Um, again, like we could talk about how, again, to go back to uh, Manasseh or um, th- whatever king I was mentioning earlier, like, yeah, he died and was buried. Just like Jesus, just like you, you need to be saved. <laughs> like, that's the quick way. But then you could also backtrack a little bit and say, like, what's the point of a king? Why did God institute kingship? Um, and, and then and then taking that, like, backing up and then getting on the main road and then from the idea of the king going to, to Jesus. Yeah, and another part of that analogy that he uses is that he says in every every town and village, there is, on the one hand, there is a way to Jesus, but there's also a main street or what they he would call a high street in Britain, right? So he says there's a high street and then there's a, a road from the village that leads to it. So correct preaching deals with the high street. You must travel the whole of the high street, he says. You can pop into some shops. You can look down some alleyways. Don't get lost in the alley. You know, stay on the high street. And once you've traveled the high street, then take the road that leads from there to the the metropolis of the scriptures, which is Christ. And then he says uh, just this, this really important thing, which is that, you know, some people make the mistake of just skipping the high street completely and going to, um, going straight to Christ. He says, don't do that. He also says some people make the mistake of never leaving the high street and they just teach the passage, but they miss the point of the passage, which is, which is ultimately how that fits into the great story of Jesus. So Mike, maybe could you give our listeners some rubrics for different ways that, um, that we do this in practice when reading the Bible? You've alluded to some, but maybe just give us a, give us a list. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, first off, 
it's not fair because you had the actual Spurgeon quote in front of you. I'd like the, I'd like the readers to know that you had the Spurgeon quote in front of you, and I and I didn't. Um, and then yeah, what a what a great contribution to that each village and hamlet and town is unique, just like the various stories of scripture. They are unique, and even if we are ending up in that same location, that yeah, we we also need to have the the distinctiveness of each chapter and each genre and each story that that should shine through. Um, yeah, okay, so I think the most obvious way, which you you kind of referenced to with um, Acts chapter 8, um, quoting Isaiah chapter 53, um, there are cer- certain parts of the Bible that are like deliberately and explicitly mentioned, sometimes more than once in the New Testament as being... Um, pointed towards or in fulfillment with the coming of Jesus Christ. And so that is like the most obvious way. And I don't think there's a single person in the world, um, any any Christian in the world that would deny that like Christ ought to be preached from Isaiah 53. And we have not just, not just examples of it, but I think almost a mandate that you're not teaching it right if it doesn't end up with Jesus, the Lamb of God, um, sacrificed for the place in the in the stead and for the place of sinners. So there's there's that there's the like the ultimate um, fulfillment of prophecies. Uh, there also is the somewhat um, well kind of a slippery realm of like typology, which um, talks about um, it's not just that there's specific promises, but there is. Um, like foreshadows that build towards the ultimate conclusion. Like, for example, one of them would be, you know, Adam and Eve, that Adam is like the head of the human race and that he falls. Um, and then we have Christ, who's the, the head of the redeemed race or the new humanity, and then he doesn't fall. And so instead of like righteousness, unrighteousness or sin imputed to us, we have righteousness given to us. Um, some have said that like Noah's Ark it's kind of a, an, a typology of Christ that he is the one way to be rescued and saved from, from the downpour of the wrath of God. Um, that's, that is interesting. And we have some New Testament authorization for some of those, but not all of those. And so um, that's, that's a way of them. Um, something that I do like, and we've been referencing this a lot, but I haven't been saying the name, is called Longitudinal Themes. Um, and a longitudinal theme is essentially the highways that go to London. And I think D.A. Carson has said that there's about 12 or 13, or he kind of lists out um, a certain number of like big, important themes that go all the way from the Bible. They're, they're all there, and each of them lead directly to London or directly to, to Christ. Themes like, you know, blood sacrifice, themes like kingdom, Things like judgment and a way of escaping judgment. Um, things about like God's kindness and faithfulness. And so these are just like these giant themes that are everywhere throughout the whole Bible. But then ultimately, I, I think it'd be unfair to not to, to speak about the kindness of God without talking about Jesus Christ and his gospel, or to speak about judgment and rescue from it without ultimately bringing that back to Christ. So yeah, longitudinal themes is another one. Um, here, here's a little bit more of a. This is more of a felt way, um, uh, which is essentially contrast. Um, a lot of times we have these 
these clear foreshadows, and maybe that's like a typology, but then we also have just contrast. And I think that there is something about, let's say a bad king like Manasseh that makes the people cry out for a good king, and God has provided that. So those are some ideas, longitudinal themes, contrast, typology, uh, prophecy. Uh, these are some of them. Do you have more that you would add? No, I think you've hit on the big ones. And, um, you know, Mike, where would be some good resources for people who are like, I, I need, you know, more on this? Do you know of any good resources where these are laid out really clearly? Well, uh, expositorscollective.com. <laughs> We've got a, yeah, there's a few different versions of, of this kind of talk that you and I have both given um, on our podcast feed. Um, I also would, would really commend, and you've, you've mentioned him by name a little bit ago, but Timothy Keller, um, he's got a book called Preaching, uh, which kind of covers this. Um, also his book, Center Church, uh, deals with this um, as well from a little bit more of kind of a classroom textbook type thing. Um, he, he talks about responsible ways to, to do so. One other resource from him, and for me, a, a, a real game changer, was an iTunes U class that he did with Edmund Clowney. I think it's called Preaching Christ to a Postmodern World. It actually has very little to do with postmodernism and a whole lot to do with preaching Christ. And that is um, Edmund Clowney, who's kind of the older professor, and then Tim Keller, who is still old and still a professor, but yet he's the, he's the younger one of the two, um, but talking through different ways um, for every genre. I remember even particularly um, having them talk about like how the poetry books point towards Christ, how even the book, the books of like lamentations and lament and the wisdom literature point towards Christ. And as we kind of talked about a few minutes ago, showing honor and integrity to each of the genres and each of the different, even biblical authors, how showing how that can bring us towards, um, yeah, uh, towards Christ or using the Christ centered hermeneutic in that. And one final suggestion is maybe looking at my preaching book uh, selection. Um, maybe Zach Eswine's book, uh, Preaching to a Post Everything World. Um, he talks about, he actually builds on what Brian Chapel, actually, how could I have forgotten him? Brian Chapel has a great book called Christ Centered Preaching. And he talks about how in every passage, there's what he calls a fallen condition focus. Um, the Bible from Genesis three onwards, there's always something wrong with the human condition that's there. And um, he's showing how he wants us to see that it's present in every passage. There's something that's wrong, but then God in his gracious provision has made a way for those wrong things to be made right. And that is how he points us towards that main thoroughfare to get to Christ. So the fallen condition focus is kind of a contribution from Brian Chapel, one of many and a very good one. But then Zach Eswine kind of picks up on that and then offers some, some new things on there as well. It's not just a fallen condition focus. He also speaks about um, the fragile um, condition focus. Like we're not just fallen, we're also fragile. Um, we're also, I think, fearful um, and there's, there's a few other things and I can't find the section in this book right here, but he offers like four or five other F's fallen condition, focus, finite condition, focus, fragile, faltering. Um, and these other opportunities where he says, it's not just a matter of like, you're wrong. 
you're bad, but don't worry, Jesus will make you good and right. He also says, we're finite, but Jesus connects us to the infinite. We're faltering, but Jesus is faithful and helping us to see more. It also brings like fresh application or again, for those of us that are preachers, it keeps every sermon from sounding the same. It's not just like, oh yeah, Sennacherib's coming and you don't stand a chance because you're fallen, but I know someone who's never fallen, the Lord Jesus, you know? Um, it, 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 if, it highlights different aspects to us. And so we could see or show even different, different kinds, different implications of the gospel. So those are some of the re- recommendations. Couple from Keller, one from Keller and Clowney, Brian Chapel, and then Zach Eswine. And Zach Eswine is also, he's a delight to read. Hmm. He's kind of a, a poetic type of guy. He tells stories in a, in a surprising way. But I'd say you should read Brian Chapel first so that you get the system of thinking. And then as a treat, you read Eswine at the end. That's great. Yeah, thanks, Mike. And you know, Brian Chapel's uh, Christ-Centered Preaching course is also available for free on the Gospel Coalition website, if anybody just Googles it, and I'll put a link in the show notes to it. And I think it's a great resource, and I can't believe it's still free, um, but it's really cool. So it, it'll kind yeah. of give you a rubric for understanding some of this stuff and applying it um, to your life. So I think that you know some of those longitudinal themes, that's really important, but I would just want to point out, some of you might be listening, they're just like, whoa, I mean, you're pointing out all these things that are that are broken, how Jesus fixes them. I mean, aren't you just kind of stretching it at this point? And and I would respond by saying, no, I mean, if you think that the the narrative structure of the Bible follows this basic four points, which we often talk about, which is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Well, that's the story of the Bible. That's the story of Jesus. He's just kind of teasing out certain points and saying, you can use these to connect with your audience uh, and to connect the scripture you're reading, uh, helping them to understand if the Bible really is a book about Jesus, then, um, then we should preach it as such. So, Mike, are you saying that to preach in a Christ-centered hermeneutic, or even to read the Bible, um, because many of our listeners are not preachers, to read the Bible with a Christ-centered hermeneutic is the correct way to do it, and to not do it that way would therefore be incorrect? Is that what you're saying? That's a good question. It's a a loaded question. I don't don't want to be setting myself up for controversy, Uh, but... But yeah, I, I believe that we're not, like I said earlier, not just authorized, but but nearly commanded uh, to do so, to to um, to focus on that which God focuses on. Um, we have these glimpses in the heavenly realms and revelation, and and He seems to be obsessed with like glorifying the the crucified and risen um, Son of God. And I think that should be something that we're we're interested in as well. And I, I guess speaking as a preacher, it's like why would I want to withhold that from anybody? Um, why would I want to to not go from whatever village I am and show the people how this goes to London? Like why would I want to withhold that or 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 speak about like the beauty of Christ from the various passages and genres that we have? Like this podcast is called theology for the people, you know? Um, and, and I want the people uh, to hear about Jesus uh, every single week. And, and it's a shame too, because I think sometimes like Christian churches, we can gather together and 
sing about Jesus in our hymns and in our songs, but not really preach about him in, in our sermons. And like, Nick, that's what our people need. You know, that's what, that's what I need. I need to hear the gospel all the time. And Hey, this is off, off uh, a tangent, but like, you know, I got a, I got a phone call from uh, a seminary buddy uh, recently and uh, no, he was texting me. I got, he was texting me and he's just like, oh man, life is rough. I just, would it be okay if someday I just kind of called you and confessed my sins to you and you can just remind me of the good news of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus? And I was like, oh yeah, ha, LOL. Um, and, and he did an emoji, you know, and that was that. And then like a couple of days later, he's like, hey, I wasn't joking. Can I do that? And I'm like, absolutely. And it got really serious, you know? And then he just said, listen, you know, I'm in, I'm in ministry, I got this going on, but like there's some really bad stuff happening in my life and in my heart. And, and he just talked to me about it. And I, and I actually kind of like read this liturgy that, that I like about just like confession of sins and the forgiveness that, that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And to say to my friend and said to my, said, you know, said his name and said, you know, do you believe in Jesus? Do you repent of your sins? He's like, yeah. And say, you know, like, like Jesus forgives you of your sins. Hmm. And, and it was this like wonderful surprise interaction of between us. And I, and I loved it. And, and that started something where he's, he's also sought out local accountability. You know, it can't just be your buddy from Ireland and, and you confess randomly, you know, but he's started this process, but like, he just knew, like, he knew that what he was doing was wrong. He was feeling bad all the time. You know, he, he's aware of his guilt, but he's like, and I, I just need to hear somebody else tell me that like, Jesus loves me, he forgives my sins, and that he's gonna empower me as I take the steps to, to make this right. And so that was this beautiful interaction. And then I think like, how many people are coming to my church this Sunday that are in that same situation? And of course there is that one-on-one -on -one dynamic that's really valuable and we're, we're two peers and trusted friends. And so that's a, that's a good thing, but like people just need to hear the good news. Yeah. And I wouldn't, and I've vowed before the Lord to like never let a Sunday go by without extending the hope of the gospel, um, not just for salvation, which is wonderful, but also for this ongoing like, just to remind people that like God isn't disgusted with you, that like he actually loves you and the cross proves his love for you. So I, I want that to be extended week after week, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. I want that to be something that is um, part of uh, the warp and the woof of, of this church and any church I'm ever involved in uh, for the rest of my life. I want that to be something that's, that's always constantly there. So long answer, your question was, is it, is it wrong not to? I'd say, yeah, I, I think it's bordering on it. I think it's like, do you wanna be like smog, you know, like with all this treasure and you're just hoarding it underneath the, the mountain and say, well, this is mine. And, and you know, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna give it to you until it specifically says it in the verse that I'm gonna tell you the good news about Jesus. Mm. But it's like, come on, the whole Bible's about this. And come on, your people need this. Mm. So let's not be hoarders, let's not be greedy. Let's be liberal and dispense this wonderful news because people need to hear it so much. Yeah, you'd be like Philip on the road saying, so there's this guy, Sennacherib, and he attacked Israel, and that was a bummer. Uh, yeah. But keep reading because there might be some important stuff coming down in a few chapters from now. Um, yeah. No, we want to take that, starting with that very verse, 
show them the good news about Jesus. And, and as you said, so how do we do that, right? So you would say, well, every section, and this is true expository preaching, because expository preaching is about showing people in the context what it means. But think about that. If the context, every verse has a context of a passage that it belongs to. Every passage has a context of the book that it belongs to. And every book has a context that it belongs to the Bible. And the Bible is a story about Jesus. So ultimately, every verse fits in somewhere. Like you said, some will be very direct. Others, you'll have to say, well, okay, it says, do not uh, suffer a witch to live, right? Um, Okay, is that a verse about Jesus? No, but it fits into a context of a law. Now, does that law speak to the great story of Jesus and his redemption? Oh my gosh, so it so absolutely does. And so we say, okay, well, let's zoom out and see where this verse fits into its surrounding context. And then we'll be able to see how this passage as a whole fits into the grand narrative of Jesus and the redemption that he brings, which we desperately need. And so, Mike, what you were saying just now, it it just reminds me of something that I really learned uh, a few years ago, and it's definitely um, impacted me. And it's the understanding that it isn't only non-Christians who need to hear the gospel so they can be saved. It's that Christians need to hear the gospel. I need to hear the gospel because the gospel is not just the means by which we are saved. It's also the means, according to the Bible, um, by which God sanctifies us, by which God motivates us, by which God does his work in our lives. Any thoughts on that? Yes, you know, the the person that called me to speak about the sin that he's entangled up in, like he's a Christian he, and he's a real good Christian, if I could say that, you know, and I and I respected him before and I respect him now, but he just needed to hear like the, the good news of, of the gospel. And that's, and that's what I did, that's what I need. You know, we've been kind of referencing Luke 24 earlier on and there was, um, you know, in, in some of those interactions, um, I think one of the disciples said to the other one, he's like, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened the scripture to us? And like, and I know that feeling. I know, mm. I know the feeling of like my heart burning within me as I'm hearing about like even some new aspect about, about Jesus or, or his heart towards, towards sinners or, or his attitude towards, you know, sufferers like me. So I, I, yeah, I, I need it not just to make my heart burning in this burning sensation, you know, um, but I also need it as like the the empowerment for the Christian walk and then also to see him as like the goal of the Christian walk as well. So, um, yeah, we don't want to, it's funny to think about how, let's say, thinking of the, the people of Israel, they were enslaved in Egypt and God set them free and then he told them how to live. Mm. Um, you know, first Passover, the, the blood is shed, the lamb is sacrificed, they pass through. Then he talks to them about how to live their life. And one of the very first things that he ever says to them is make sure that like every year you remember that you were redeemed before I gave you laws. And um, that's like, I think if, if memory serves, that's like the first thing he ever says 
I think like even, I think it's Exodus 13 before they're even out of the country. He's like, Hey, by the way, remember this, always come back to this, teach your kids about this. So I think that's kind of a glimpse into maybe like how God works. It's like, it's redemption. It's grace first being reminded of it over and over and over again before. And then I would say also after the law comes. So he redeems, he says, remember this redemption. Hey, here's 10 ways, you know, to be a good fella. You know, if I could call the, oh, the 10 commandments like that, maybe I shouldn't do that. But, um, but it's redemption first. And then they're constantly called back to remember that God is a redeeming God. And so uh, for that reason, yeah, I believe it's important for Christians to, to hear about our redemption, which is um, as wonderful as it was to think of like a nation of enslaved people being set free in a night. That's miraculous and that's wonderful. But uh, what, what he has done for uh, millions upon millions or billions of people um, set us free from the slavery of Satan, sin and death, um, that is remarkable. And so I want that to be not just an annual remembrance, uh, not just something that people hear about on Easter, but that weekly rhythm of Sunday after Sunday. And then too, for the, for the Christians who are, who are reading this, listening to this, as you spend time in your Bibles, that's got to be something too, that we don't just read it as a list of rules to obey or a list of doctrines to believe, but it's like, hey, I'm hearing from the redeeming God, the same God who rescued me and redeemed me, the same God who loves me even now, and um, yeah, so don't just leave it up to Nick to preach the gospel to you once a week. You're also enlisted to, with a Christ-centered hermeneutic, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Yes, I agree. Um, Mike, I was just so much enjoying what you're saying that I forgot what, what my next question was going to be. So, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. I could talk with you about this forever. Um, I'm not sure our listeners could listen forever, but I love talking about it. I love uh, discussing it. But you know, Mike, there are also some people who don't hold to this. Now, as you I, I actually don't think it's that controversial or that much of a weighted question for me to ask. Do you think this is correct and therefore it is incorrect to not do it? I think uh, I'm, I'm on board with you that hmm. if this is what Jesus said, and the Bible is indeed a book about Jesus, which it clearly is. I mean, even if you just follow the uh, family lines from the Old Testament— uh, the, the, the Old Testament, like Genesis, is not seeking to give you a comprehensive history of the world, not even in the first uh, 11 chapters. It is yeah. following a family line that is, um, you know, kind of like, okay, so this branch happened, and now we're not going to talk about those people anymore for the rest of the book, nor these people. Yeah. We are only going to yeah. follow this one line that leads to the Messiah, who is the solution for the problem, which we found in chapter three. Um, I think that is theologically correct. Like you said, it is absolutely practically needed. It is what our people actually need. Kind of going back to my friend who said, who cares? And right. Norm MacDonald saying, is that all this is? Hmm. It, just how to be a good fellow, right? Yeah. Um, there has to be some context for, for those teachings about goodness, right? So all that to say, I'm with you, but did you know there are some people who don't agree with this? There are some people who push back against this and have objections to it. So what I'd like to do now, Mike, is just kind of close this episode and then I hope that in a second episode, we can actually dis discuss and address those objections directly. Yes, yes, I would love that. 
I would love that. I thought you were teeing it up to to talk about them right now. And I was like, that's cool, bro. But I got a meeting coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and I think that too, it, maybe people wouldn't even get to this far in the episode if it's too long. So no, don't say that. People are listening all the way to the end, of course. <laughs> They're going to hear that anchor ad that you do at the end. That's right. <laughs> hey, Mike, thank you for being with us. And uh, please come back and let's talk about those uh, objections. Yeah, I would love to do that. That'd be really great. Uh, thanks so much. Honored to be on. Would love to be on again. Mike, where can people go to find out more about you, listen to some of your messages and um, stuff that you do? Well, the Calvary Cork website is... Um, is a good place to hear sermons. We actually, and it kind of kills me to say it, our our podcast feed is kind of paused. So we kind of switched over to YouTube um, during lockdown and pandemic stuff. And um, that largely has taken over. So um, I don't like YouTube that much. Uh, Takes up too much data and, you know, I don't like seeing things. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you want to see, you can't just isolate a sermon, but you have to see the whole um, church service from beginning to end. But um, on YouTube or Calvary Cork, uh, there's a podcast that kind of stopped about nine or 10 months ago that you can find on um, Apple Podcasts and, and that type of thing. And then also, as you certainly have mentioned at the beginning, um, there's the Expositors Collective podcast, which I, um, I, I, I'm largely the one answer, uh, sorry, asking the questions. And so if you want to hear me ask questions to interesting people, uh, you can do that at the Expositors Collective podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Well, thank you for tuning in for this week's episode of Theology for the People. We try to bring good conversations to you, which kind of bring theological concepts in a, and bring them to you in a way that's um, relatable, understandable. And so if you're enjoying this podcast, if you've got anything good out of it, I would love it if you would go to the iTunes podcast store. If you listen in iTunes podcast app, then uh, go over there and give us a rating and review. Five stars always welcome and leave a comment. Uh, A written review actually boosts us more in the algorithm than just giving us stars. So even if you just write a sentence about what you like about the podcast, that'd be great. Don't forget to check out the written blog, which is uh, Theology for the People blog. It's nickkady.org. That's N-I-C-K cady.org. I try to post uh, similar articles, but also uh, different content on there. So if you like what you're listening to here, make sure to check out some articles on there. I've tried to create that as a resource for people. And if you're looking for good content, of course, we've talked about the Expositors Collective podcast. The next episode that's coming out on that podcast is a conversation between myself and Mike Neglia about the importance of introductions and different ways to do introductions in sermons. So make sure to go check that out. New episodes come out on that uh, that podcast every Tuesday. So you can find those over there or at expositorscollective.com or just search Expositors Collective in the podcast uh, app that you use. God bless you. Have a great week.